Well, good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Janice M and I'm a grateful recovered compulsive overeater. Today's Monday, it's October 10th, 2016. And today we are reading from the big book in chapter 11, A Vision for You. We'll be beginning on page 154. We're going to first read is going to read the last paragraph for context, beginning with but what about his responsibilities? And then we'll continue to page 155. Now today's readers are for the OA 12 steps, Lisa B, the OA 12 traditions, and Marie M. And the, our readers today for the text will be Judy S, Terry H, and Amanda R. And the reference number for Sunday, our special edition at 8.30 a.m. That's Sunday, October 9th, 2016, is 9152. And the presentation was entitled, What Can We in OA Learn from AA History? Presented by Laurie C. The OA preamble over Eaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry the message, <coughs> pardon me, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Lisa B. to please read the 12 steps. Good morning. This is Lisa B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, 
except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. And thank you, Lisa B. I will now ask Anne-Marie M. to please read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Anne-Marie M., compulsive overeater in Rhode Island as, as of right now. Uh, one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any relate related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly to to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence our OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public, pol- our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. And thank you, Anne-Marie M. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share in what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. Now to share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Okay, today we resume our study in the 
on the, in the big book on page 154, the very last paragraph for context. And I will now ask Judy S. to please begin reading. Good morning. This is Judy S. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from upstate New York. But what about his responsibilities, his family, and the men who would die because they would not know how to get well? Ah, yes, those other alcoholics. There must be many such in this town. He would phone a clergyman. His sanity returned, and he thanked God. Selecting a church at random from the directory, he stepped into a booth and lifted the receiver. His call to the clergyman led him presently to a certain resident of the town, who, though formerly able and respected, was then nearing the nadir of alcoholic despair. It was the usual situation. Home in jeopardy, wife ill, children distracted, bills in arrears and standing damaged. He had a desperate desire to stop, but saw no way out, for he had earnestly tried many avenues of escape. Painfully aware of being somehow abnormal, the man did not fully realize what it meant to be alcoholic. And the asterisk at the bottom, this refers to Bill's first visit with Dr. Bob. These men later became co-founders of AA. Bill's story opens the text of this book. Dr. Bob's heads the story section. So I'm Judy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, so the paragraph starts out with his call. And that's so important because I have to remember, you know, um, Bill needed help. And so what did he do? He picked up the phone. (laughs) And I, I, you know, I'm laughing just because that's so hard for me to do still to this day. And I do it more often and I practice, but I do it now because I know if I don't do it, um, I can call on God. God's there with me all the time. But sometimes I just need that other voice. Um, and God tells me, call. So I do. So calling for me is, uh, in my experience, uh, uh, an important thing to practice. Um, and I had to practice a lot to be able to do it. But here in the, um, in the rest of the paragraph, um, it talks about how you know, this man who they're talking about, you know, Dr. Bob, you know, it was, it was pretty bad here. Um, and he had a desperate desire to stop. So he wanted to stop. He knew he was in trouble, but he didn't know how. And I mean, this was, this was what, you know, Bill, uh, Bill was looking for, um, and he had tried many avenues of escape. You know, I tried so many different avenues of escape um, from my compulsive overeating. I had tried, you know, of course, the diets, but, you know, drinking alcohol, smoking pot, all kinds of things um, to escape. And um, and and then the other thing that struck me and, and just brought me back to uh, my past was painfully aware of being somehow abnormal. Boy, I was painfully aware. Um, I knew something was wrong, but I could never quite put my finger on it. I mean, I showed my my um, compulsive overeating on my body, you know, I was up to 310 pounds. And I was painfully aware of, of being abnormal, but I, I, I didn't know what to do about it. I was I was desperate. Um, and um, 
and I, I didn't know anything about what it meant to be alcoholic or in my case, a compulsive overeater because I just, I just didn't know. And boy, oh boy, getting that knowledge and knowing that this is a um, twofold disease, you know, that allergy in the body, but way more important that that obsession of my mind is um, just such a valuable thing. And this is what Bill was able to give to Dr. Bob just by picking up the phone and making his call. And with that, I pass. Thank you. And thank you, Judy S. Okay, what we're going to do is we're going to, our comments are going to be on page 155, the very first paragraph. Who would like to begin? This is Bella. Can I share? Okay, Charles we have Bella. Oh, we Nessa have Charles. Larry. And we have Nessa R. <clears throat> and we have Larry. One more. We'll do. Maybe it won't. Okay, let's start with Bella G. Please go ahead, Bella. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella G, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Janice, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. He had a desperate desire to stop, but saw no way out, for he had earnestly tried many avenues of escape. Oh, boy, yes, I was there. I wanted so much to be that skinny lady like everybody else. I wanted so much not to be overweight. But, and I tried so many different things, so many different diets. And yes, I lost weight all the time that I tried. I did lose, but I never stayed skinny. And yes, I knew that something is wrong with me. And I wanted so much to lose weight, but I was all the time escaping, escaping from reality. And I was in the stage of blaming and judging, blaming myself, judging myself, blaming others and judging others. My, my way of thinking and living was, if only, if only I wouldn't live here, if only I would have a different family, if only I would have different uh, friends, I'm telling you, I promise you, I will be that skinny lady. And now that, thank you, God, I am in the program, yes, I know that I was all the time escaping from the real truth, from the real, from the real belief that I am powerless. I am powerless. I was blaming and judging everybody else, but I didn't pay attention that I am powerless and there is a higher power, higher than myself, higher than everybody else. And thank you, God. Thank you, God. I am not there anymore. And today I just have all the time reminders that I am powerless. And my only power is the power to choose one day at a time. And right now I am choosing to be connected to a loving, accepting power and not to the power of my ego. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. And thank you, Bella. Okay, Charles H., it's your turn. Good morning. Thank you so much, Janice, and for your service, your your loyal, consistent service. Charles H., a recovered compulsive reader, just for today. Thank you, God. Um, you know, I was thinking about uh, 
he would phone a clergyman and say he returned, and he thanked God, selecting a church at random from the directory. To me, this is one of the, this is the second most important call in 12-step history. Um, the first, of course, being, you know, Ebby calling Bill W. Um, and this, so this is one of the most important outreach calls in 12-step history. I was just thinking about also um, this, this, this chapter 11, a vision, a vision for you. Um, chapter 11 in real life means protection from creditors given to a, a, a company in financial difficulties for a limited period to allow it to reorganize. I wonder if it was not, not only just financial. Maybe for me it was spiritual, it was physical, it was all that stuff, right? Um, and that's why this, this chapter obviously is, is so important. Um, you know, if, if you're a real compulsive overeater and you were bankrupt in those three dimensions, um, you know, this, is a, this chapter is a good look. It's a good read. It's a good study, right? Um, so his call, like outreach calls, this is, this is, yeah, it's a tool. But imagine how key this tool was to our fellowship, to our program, right? And uh, wow, it's great. The vision is great, man. It, it, it's great to see, right? To see, um, man, I was, I was hopeless. It's great to take a look back, right? It, it, it's great to realize that, man, God is good because I'm here today on this earth, not freaking out over what's my next meal. Wow, this vision here makes me live life and not even worry about what I'm going to put into my physical because, you know, hopefully, you know, I've recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. You know, it's key. You know, we came up in, I came up in here and tried to recover from a state of mind, I mean body, but I was crazy in the mind. Like, you know, and Janice, I want to personally, you know, uh, make an amends to you and the rest of the, the um, the uh, moderators, you know, I used to step, if you listen to last year's tapes and all that, I was a crazy sick man, stepping on the moderator's toes, you know, I don't hold amends. I ain't recovered. I still got those amends. So I hold those amends, and I took this time out, and I listen every single day. I, I, I know how, how, how passionate, you know, we are to share, and it's a great thing, and I love what I'm hearing. I just took a step back just to listen more than I talk, you know, so because before before I speak, I need to make sure I'm connected to something greater than me because out of my mouth comes trash. But when I'm connected to a, a spiritual being, a creative of intelligence, you know, the vision, the vision is a little clearer. And with that, I pass. Thanks. And thank you so much, Child H, for everything. Okay, Nessa R, please go ahead. Hi, good morning, Vision for You. This is Nessa R, a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. So Dr. Baugh did not know what it meant to be alcoholic. Um, intuitively, I think he, he knew the solution and he knew the plan of action because he had been a member of the Oxford groups for years and he was a spiritual man. Um, he knew the tenets of the Oxford, Oxford, Oxford groups. He tried to work them, uh, but there was something missing because he still was not getting sober. And what was missing is he didn't understand the problem. He did not know the problem. This is what Bill brought to him. He explained to him 
um, the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, but not as it manifested itself in Dr. Bob, how it manifest, manifested itself in Bill. Um, and I too, like Dr. Bob, um, even in the room, I tried to stop compulsive overeating while still compulsively overeating. And, you know, like, it, it's, it is as ridiculous as it sounds. It is not possible. Um, in order for the spiritual program to work, the spiritual plan of action to work, um, the drug of choice or the drug of no choice um, has to be down. Um, it is possible to live life without having to, to compulsively overeat, but the food has to be down in order for that, for that, to, be the, uh, for that to be the case. And, you know, it is no small feat, but it is a prerequisite. Um, I cannot expect to work the steps uh, while I'm still being blocked from God by the food. You know, as I always say, I, I, have, I have two higher powers, but I can only serve one master. And while I am serving the food, I am totally, totally blocked from God. I need to put the food down before before this uh, beautiful program can have its, its, its miraculous, its beautiful effect. And that was the case with Dr. Bob, too. You know, once he understood, thanks to Bill, you know, how his body reacted to alcohol and how his mind reacted to the lack of alcohol, um, you know, it wasn't a long time before he was able to to uh, to get sober and stay sober, and so it is. Uh, so it was with me. You know, once I put the food down, and I was able to work the steps with a clear mind, free of blockages, then a beautiful world just opened up to me, where I am. Um, I'm blocked from from my higher power. I work. Um, I live every day. Um, align with God's will for the most part, um, for the most part. And the beautiful thing is that as much as I was attached to my food um, before recovery, now I really enjoy, and I really enjoy not eating. You know, go figure that one out. And with that, I pass. Thank you. And thank you so much, Nessa R. Okay, good morning to you, Larry Kay. It's your turn. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, Larry K. Recovered Compulsive Reader from Chicago. Um, the uh, so so we read here that uh, painfully aware of being somehow abnormal, and that was Dr. Bob. Um, this man did not fully realize what it meant to be alcoholic, and um, you know, of course, we learned. You know, we need to understand the problem. Of course, we learned that uh, that we have this twofold nature of this this illness and allergy of the body that when we take in our substance, um, it, it triggers a phenomenon of craving. And of course, the obsession of the mind, which is the far more insidious aspect of the disease that drives us back again and again, even, even when the substance is not in our body for a time. But there's something more too that, that you know, um, that Dr. Bob wasn't aware of like I wasn't aware of. And by the way, this guy's a surgeon which tells you maybe a little bit about the guy. He had some discipline. He had to get through medical school, so on and so forth. Um, but one of the things that I presume that he didn't understand that I didn't understand either was that the, uh, not only did the main you know, aspect, the main aspect of the problem center in my mind, but there was, there was a, a root of my troubles. And I thought it was food. Perhaps Dr. Bob thought it was alcohol. But no, it was selfishness, self-centeredness, 
That is the root of our problem. And that's what these steps do. These steps do not just remove the obsession to eat. We don't need the food anymore when we become aligned with God. And part of becoming aligned with the higher power of our own understanding is that the selfishness and self-centeredness, we move from a a self-centered existence, we move as imperfect human beings towards a God-centered existence. And when that happens as the result of these steps, worked precisely, not perfectly, but worked precisely, when that happens, we become other-centered. Not perfectly other-centered, but other-centered and aligned with our higher power where we don't need the food anymore. And that's why if someone's on this line and there might be just one person that just doesn't understand why is it? I've put the food down thousands of times. I just can't stay stopped. I've, I've worked these steps. I know for me, I had to ask myself, had I worked these steps precisely as laid out in the big book so that I can become other-centered? I don't effectuate that other-centeredness in me. God does. God does. That's what I, I didn't understand that. Did not understand that God effectuates that other-centeredness as the result of the steps. All I can do is work the steps. God does the rest of it. I didn't get it. Didn't get it. And that made all the difference. That's why some people wrapping up, can come to this program as I did for years and still not get it. Thanks. With that, I'll pass. And thank you so much, Larry Kay. Okay, is there anyone else that would like to comment on page 155? Melissa Melissa? Melissa or Marissa? Melissa. Melissa. Okay, Melissa C. Anyone else? Lynn S. Lynn S. Anyone Reva else? P. Reva P. Okay, anyone else? All right, let's go with those three. Wonderful. Melissa C., it's your turn. Hi, good morning, Janice. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., recovered compulsive overeater in New York. Um, you know, what strikes me this morning, um, the words of the usual situation, you know, home in jeopardy, white children distracted, bills in arrears, <laughs> standing damaged, um, and, um, you know, this is exactly what it means to be an addict. It's, it's the usual situation. We think we're unique in how um, our lives are unraveling and become a mess. And those were my excuses why, um, you know, I couldn't do this because this situation needed to be fixed first. And yet um, this is exactly what it means to be an addict, you know, to have the desperate desire to stop but could not. You know, the awareness of being abnormal, but not fully realizing what it means. You know, just what is the exact nature of this abnormality? Um, you know, for me, I focused on the outer part. I certainly always just wanted to look normal. And when I didn't look normal, then I could feel the pain of not looking normal. But I didn't understand that my abnormality was really deep inside me, that it existed in my brain that this problem existed in me and was not a result of other people. Um, you know, and this is just how we start. You know, I love, I love personally bringing the message to people who are at this point, you know, um, who, are, who are really in that usual situation because it's at that point that we're um, really willing, you know, if, if, if my home wasn't in jeopardy, if things weren't, you know, falling apart around me, I have no reason 
to um, think I need this overhaul of my entire life, you know. Um, and the other thing that grabbed me was the the line about trying many avenues of escape, you know, and, and that's, um, that's what I did. I tried many avenues of escape, but I didn't know that um, – and I'm the jaywalker. And so I need to not try any more avenues because I need to stay out of the, out of the street. Um, and it was when I really reached that point that my avenues of escape were never going to get me out of this mess. They were only getting me more and more damaged. Um, but I became completely willing. And, um, you know, and that's exactly where we need to be. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. And thank you, Melissa C. Good morning to you, Lynn S. Please go ahead. Good morning. This is Lynn Us, a recovering compulsive reader from Toronto, Canada. Just reading this paragraph again, I know we spoke about it Friday and hearing all the shares and then listening today and hearing the shares, it's really speaking to me. The man did not fully realize what it meant to be alcoholic. And I, I can remember, you know, before coming into the doors of OA, knowing there's something wrong with me. And, I mean, my God, after after living, you know, the way I did with this weird relationship with food and the gaining and losing 140 pounds up and down and all around and swearing off food and then still eating it. But then the misery, too, and knowing it's the, I knew it's, it's not just the food. There's something else wrong with me, but to fully realize what it meant to be alcoholic i can remember coming into the meeting and getting it finally oh my god there's something wrong with me and then reading in the step one about you know this um allergy of the body and obsession of the mind of thinking thank god finally it's not that i'm multiple personality it's not that i'm psychotic or something like that it's right here in these pages this is what's wrong with me but you know i've, I've been in program since like 1989 and i'll tell you Throughout all these years and working the program and, and seeing the changes that happen, it's amazing this, this fully realizing what it means to be alcoholic. That continues with me. It continues with me day after day and year after year and, and realizing out of all this misery and working the steps and stuff and just thinking how different my life is now. But even now still, you know, working the tent, sometimes I don't fully realize what it means to be alcoholic. So I know I'm, I'm taking it different than what they meant here, but it's amazing how program it can sort of start in my head, but it works down, and it when, it's when it lands in my heart, when I fully realize, and when, when I take these steps and they, they land in my heart and they resonate and the change happens, it, it's just amazing. And um, even now, every day, I fully... I learned something new, and I fully realize what it means to be alcoholic, and I am so grateful that that I've got the heart knowledge, I'm working the steps, and it's changing. And I, and I know this isn't what they're talking about there, but what comes to me in fully realizing what it means to be alcoholic, to go from this misery and this despair to a life uh, with friends and, and uh, laughter and lightness, it's an amazing journey. And if, for some reason, this line just brings me there. And with that, I'll pass. <clears throat> and thank you so much, Lynn S. Okay, Reva P., it's your turn. Good morning. This is Reva P., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Toronto. 
a couple of things struck me. And first of all, the words despair, desperate, and no way out are a reminder to me that this disease is progressive and it just gets worse and worse until I feel like I'm I'm backed into a corner and there is no way out. The second thing that struck me is the word escape. And I used food to escape. And here's Dr. Bob escaping. When you think about it, he's a doctor. He's educated. I think he was married with children. On the outside, it looks like he's got everything. And he's miserable. And that reminds me that no matter what's happening on the outside of my life, um, if I'm into this disease, nothing is worth anything. And I'm just miserable. And the opposite is true too. Even when things are not working out, if I'm spiritually fit, I'm absolutely fine, which is such a paradox. And the thing, the biggest thing that struck me is not realizing the full nature of what it means to be a compulsive overeater. And for me, you know, the allergy of the body, I think, was pretty clear when I came in to identify foods that I knew if I took one, I'd have to have like an infinite amount until I self-destructed with the food. But this um, twist of the mind still, you know, still baffles me today because it's the selfishness. It's wanting people, places, things to just do and be the way I want them. And you know what? That's still something I have to really work at every 24 hours. Um, And when things don't work out the way I want, I get uncomfortable, I get irritated, I get angry, I get fearful. And then the twist tells me that the best idea is to pick up an item because that's going to make me feel better and that becomes my solution. So for me, it's that constant vigilance of being aware of my thinking um, and using the steps as laid out to change my thinking and then I'm not so irritated and I don't have to go down that whole path of thinking. But it's a real 24-hour reprieve, I tell you, because um, it's also um, understanding the nature of my disease is the humility to say, you know, I never get this perfectly, but at least within a few hours I can identify what's going on, go back to the steps, and get back on the beam. With that, I pass. Okay, thank you, Reva P. Okay, before we go on to that next paragraph, is there anyone else that would like to comment on this paragraph? Harlan G. Um, oh wait, I heard who who was the first one? Holland. Harlan G. I didn't get it again. Is it Paula or Holland? Harlan. Oh, Harlan, good morning to you. Yeah. Good morning, Janet. Okay, Harlan, and then we have. Judy F. F. Good morning to you, Judy F. Okay, and someone else. All right, let's take those two before we go on. That's great. Okay, Harlan G., please go ahead. Thank you, Janice. Thank you for your service. Harlan G., recovered compulsive overeater from Scottsdale, Arizona, via Chicago. What are we really looking at when we read the words, he did not know what it meant to be alcoholic? Well, the very first thing we're looking at in this absolutely world-changing meeting between these two people is that Dr. Bob, being a physician, being a surgeon, knew nothing of the twist of the mind, knew nothing of the physical allergy. 
And also what we're talking about here, because when, he, when we read these words, he did not know what it meant to be an alcoholic. It works on a couple of levels. It also did not occur to Dr. Bob that at some point he was not going to get struck sober. He was going to have to put down the food, the, not the food. He had to put down the liquor. In Dr. Silkworth's opinion, he says to us three times that we must put down the food or we must, put that, we must plug the jug. What he says is we have to be separated from the craving. We have to have entire abstinence. We have to, be, we have to plug the jug, in other words. So Dr. Bob did not know this. And there's something else very, very important, and this is talked about extensively in Chapter 2. There is a solution, and that is the magic of the fellowship. Now, I cannot get abstinent and stay abstinent on the fellowship alone. I've tried that. But what Dr. Bob did not know is that these thoughts about alcohol, these thoughts about drinking were not secret unto him that there was another person, Bill Wilson, who had these thoughts. And what Bill Wilson was bringing Dr. Bob wasn't just the information of the allergy, the information of the twist in the mind. He brought him something that he had never had before, and that is identification, one to the other. No one that had preached over Bob, no one that had screamed at Bob, lectured Bob, no one that had tried to get Bob sober was an alcoholic. So there was no identification whatsoever. And Bill Wilson brought him information. He brought him identification. And through this information and through this identification, Bob was able to stay sober until June when he left for Atlantic City. He relapsed, and then on June the 10th, 1935, he achieved permanent sobriety, save for a few thoughts of alcohol. He remained sober until his death in November of 1950, and with that, I will pass. Thank you. And thank you so much, Holland G. Okay, Judy F., please go ahead. Can I be heard, Janice? You can, you can. Great. Thank you, Janice, for your service. Good morning, visionaries. This is Judy F., a recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. And um, so I wanted to identify in to um, the sentence, he had a desperate desire to stop but saw no way out, for he had earnestly tried many avenues of escape. And that whole, um, for me, I had to have that desperation um, when I, I finally hit my bottom and was willing, willing to listen to um, a person that went before me, willing to read the doctor's opinion and identify in to my, how my eating was like a real compulsive overeater, willing to have a nutritionist give me my food plan that I didn't, um, and willing to look at really what I was powerless over as far as food, behaviors, and foods. And it took me four years in and out of program because I really didn't have a desperate desire to stop until that four years, until I had tried all the avenues I could try, all the diets, the therapy, 
the different, I was with one therapist for two years that said, you've been depriving yourself, so eat, let your body tell you what it really craves, and if you really give what it craves, the cravings will stop, which is the total opposite of what I learned in the doctor's opinion, but I wanted that because I wanted to eat whatever I wanted without consequence, and I could never find that. So it, I had to be desperate, and I believe what, all the sponsoring I've done the last 25 years, it's the ones that are desperate that have come to the end and um, but saw no way out. One of the names of the books they were going to um, name this uh, Alcoholics about, um, Anonymous was No Way Out because we have to come to the end of ourselves, and that's what I have found to be true. And I'm just so grateful because then I'm willing, open-minded, and willing to be honest and to say, yes, I have this thing. Yes, I want the solution out of these steps, and I'm willing to take the steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you. And thank you so much, Judy F. Okay, I think we're going to go on. Uh, with Terry H. reading page 155, uh, paragraph 2. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, Janice. My name is Terry H., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maine. When our friend related his experience, the man agreed that no amount of willpower he, mu- he might muster could stop his drinking for long. A spiritual he conceded was absolutely necessary but the price seemed high upon the basis suggested. He, he told how he lived in constant worry about those who might find out about his alcoholism. He had, of course, the familiar alcoholic obsession that few knew of his drinking. While he argued, should he lose the, re, the remainder of his business only to bring still more suffering to his family, especially admitting his plight to people from whom he made his livelihood, he would do anything, he said, but that. And um, I have to that Dr. you know, totally um, has experience. Uh, Terry, I think we lost you. Terry H. Can you hear me? I can hear you now, dear. Yeah. Can you hear me now, Janice? I can hear you now. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. I don't know what happened. So, again, you know, I'll just start out with saying, you know, I, I can relate to, to Dr. Blob. You know, here here Bill is, you know, he's relating to his experience, you know, that he's got a body that can't process alcohol and a mind that can't process reality. And, you know, here Bill is throwing him a life jacket, you know, and he's he's saying, I'm not sure if I want to put it on. He's got reservations because he now now knows the problem and he knows the solution. But, you know, as we as we all well know that the third piece is, you know, I have to know the problem with the solution to take the action. And, you know, it says he told how he lived in constant worry about those who might find out about his alcoholism. And I think about uh, page 73 where it says it's two of my most favorite um, paragraphs in the book. It says, more than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. He is very much like the actor. To the outer world, he presents a stage character. This is the one he likes his fellows to see. He wants a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. The inconsistencies is made worse by the things he does on the sprees. 
coming to his senses, he is revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. These memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think someone might have observed him. As fast as he can, he pushes the memories far inside him. He is hoping that they will never see the light of day. He is under constant fear and tension that makes for more drinking. You know, any time that I have frustrations about, you know, doing the work, it's a program of action. It's not a program of thinking. And, you know, any time I have a reservation and until my reservations are, are abandoned and I become willing to do the work, I will not recover. Um, I've had this experience over and over again. And um, I have to have, I have to be out of all ideas and, you know, um, half measures, again, will does avail me. You know, and I heard half measures availed me half. I never heard half measures availed me nothing. And, um, you know, the end result, it, you know, always took me, took me back to the food. And I really had to see my truth that in order for me to have this spiritual experience, this spiritual awakening, I had to go on with the rest of the steps. And any time I say no, I close myself off from the grace of God. And, um, you know, it comes right down to, you know, it's not that I, I can eat, but it will come down to I will eat. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Terry. And thanks. Yeah, and thank you so much, Terry H. Okay, we're going to open it up for those that would like to share. Comment on the uh, second paragraph. Who would like to begin? Start Carolyn S.H. Carolyn S.H. Anybody else? Amanda R. Kathy. Amanda. Okay, I have Amanda R. And I heard Kathy slip in there. Kathy K. Yes. Anyone else? Leah M. Yes, Leah M. Okay, let's start with that. Carolyn S.H., it's your turn. Hi, good morning. Uh, Carolyn S.H. from Massachusetts, grateful, recovered uh, overeater. And, um, uh, so, two points I want to focus on that jumps out at me, this paragraph. I, I'm actually really loving this paragraph right now because um, that second sentence, a spiritual experience, he conceded, was absolutely necessary, but the price seemed high upon the basis suggested. It's like the, you know, the alcoholic mind, like how crazy is that, you know? And, and that's the way my brain works. Um, you know, I, I get convinced that I'm doomed, um, but I, you know, that I need a spiritual experience. And then when it's explained to me what I need to do, it's like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Um, and it's, it, oh, I forgot to set my timer. I hope you're timing me. I can kind of start from now. I do. Um, <clears throat> thank I you. Thank you. Um, and one, this is really speaking to me, this paragraph, because very recently, it has become so clear to me that some of my fears about my my few remaining amends that I haven't made have totally been um, very similar to, to um, Dr. Bob, um, uh, what he says here about um, Why he argued should he lose the remainder of his business only to bring still more suffering to his family by foolishly admitting his plight to people from whom he made his livelihood. There are few amends that uh, involve business people 
that I I made really lame attempts to reach them and didn't work and I didn't try again and I was told to try again and I didn't and um, and it's eating at me um, and and I it just became so clear to me lately that I have to be willing to go to any length um, reputation you know be damned and um, chances are they know about my problem anyway. Um, and one person in my professional life a long time ago, um, one thing that was visible to others that I had no idea was visible to me, and she said a point blank to me, is that I was a very, very angry person. Um, and I saw myself as, like, sweet and kind, you know. Um, and when she told me that, what I do, I yelled at her, you know. Um, and it's just, like, people see that we have problems. And... Um, and, uh, yeah, so, so for me, this is about the willingness and admitting what's obvious to everybody else. Um, so thank you. With that, I pass. And thank you, Carolyn S.H. Okay, Amanda R., it's your turn. Good morning. This is Amanda R. I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Maine. And um, I that, that same sentence there that, I mean, it, it's a real, it's an honest question about Dr. Bob saying why should he lose the remainder of his business you know only to bring still more suffering to his family um, by foolishly admitting what's going on Um, the thing is that question I I ask a version of it to myself sometimes in my head in situations I find myself in uh, usually involving 10 steps and um that's my disease creeping in um because the truth is i'm going to lose my livelihood anyway if i keep going the way i'm going i mean here's here's how it usually plays out for me lately um i'm restless irritable discontent because i'm like busy stressed out life is not going my way so a uh, light bulb goes on in my head i should do a 10 step you know um and then this this voice says, well, if you do a 10-step, you're just going to get more stressed out because you're going to get more behind. Um, you don't have time to do a 10-step. It's not going to help. It's just going to make things worse. So just keep doing what you're doing. And the fact is, I am not going to be able to keep up with what I'm doing because I'm so worked up, upset, and running on self-will. So um, it's the, the thing is to do it at that point, although it's scary, it honestly is scary, but to call that voice out and say, no, I'm, I've tried this way of doing a 10-step, and it works. It helps. It gets me reconnected to, to God and calmed down and, and able to go about my day in the way that, that God would have me do so. So... Yeah, I know. I mean, our voice, we're so used to listening to the the voice of our disease and and believing it. Um, But, yeah, to call it out, say, hey, no, this is my new way of doing things. It takes takes courage, but it works very well. And I'll pass. And thank you much, Amanda R. Okay, if we take a couple of minutes or more each, uh, not more, but uh, we'll get through. Kathy Kay, please, it's your turn. Good morning to you. Thank you, Janice, for your service. Um, I wanted to share that um, 
for so many years, I just thought I don't have the time to do what's being asked of me. And as long as I had that attitude, um, I could not have a spiritual experience because I wasn't devoting the energy um, and focus to working the steps that was absolutely necessary. So like others have said, that was my disease talking to me. Um, and it, it took uh, witnessing many fellow travelers doing the work and transforming their way of being in the world that convinced me. Um, it was not uh, a lot of weight. It was not um, someone trying to sell me on it. It was witnessing that my way didn't work. And even today, I can have moments when I think I really don't have time to do this 10th step. And I thankfully have learned um, that I'm going to be much more effective for the rest of the day if I take time out to do the work and to share it with a fellow traveler and with God. And with that, I pass. And thank you so much, Kathy Kay. Okay, we're going to have Leah M. wrap it up for us. Good morning, thank, Leah. Thank you so much. When our friend related his experience, you know, this is what differentiates us, you know, from uh, the typical diet programs out there. Um, this is one drunk talking to another. You know, in in Dr. Bob's history, you know, uh, it was his irate boss, it was his nagging wife, perhaps it was on occasion to the alcoholic an intimidating police officer or a judge uh, saying, you know, this is what you need to do. Uh, but here it's different. You know, Bill Wilson, out of self-preservation, had a need to tell his story. He needed to tell Dr. Bob his story. So this is one alcoholic to another, and this is where identification uh, was born, this carrying the message of depth and weight. Uh, Bill drank himself to madness and mayhem, and as a result of a spiritual experience had been restored to sanity, and now he was properly armed with facts about himself. And he could win the entire confidence of another alcoholic. It says in our text, we have recovered and have been given the power to help others. And that's exactly what's happening. This is not some superior be being uh, lecturing and preaching to Dr. Bob uh, that he should stop drinking. This is one alcoholic to another. The big book says that our dark past is the greatest possession we have, and it's the key to life and happiness for others, and that was surely true for Dr. Bob, and of course that was true for me too, because Bill spent the rest of his life trying to help other alcoholics and trying to help the fellowship of AA, and that's why you know we're able to gather today, because he was trying to put this thing together so that we could have it today, out of self-preservation. And if it worked for Bill Wilson in those days and for the rest of his life, then surely it will work for us today, and it continues to do so. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Mm. And thank you so much, Leah M. Thank you to everyone that shared. Okay, thank you, thank you. Uh, so please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately, immediately following closing. We will now close the reading from the big book on page 
164, followed by the serenity prayer. Well, Amanda, R., please read a vision for you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning. This is Amanda R. again. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in the mor- ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.